The All My Favorite People podcast is proudly sponsored by Peace Love T-Shirts. Go to peacelovet-shirt.com to see the entire All My Favorite People collection of shirts, hats, and bags. While you're there, check out the other collections from our collaborators like Healing and Hope, The Controversy, and Ink Happy. Go to peacelovet-shirt.com and use code FAVORITE for $5 off your first order. Hey friend, get ready to listen in on some long-form conversations and authentic stories with people who have decided to turn their mess into their mission and their past into their purpose. We'll talk on topics like faith, family, and entrepreneurship. Here we go. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of All My Favorite People. Today with me, I have licensed mental health counselor, Yvonne Gonzalez. Hey Yvonne, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to just jump right in and let sure. you kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself. But um, today is going to be a little bit of an interesting and different conversation for our audience. We have never tackled the subject of men and mental health before. So I'm super excited to have you on. Help yeah. us tackle that topic. And um I should also mention your pastor. So in the That's Methodist right. church, so um, you definitely come at this from a biblical view. So I really appreciate yes. it. Why don't you, uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah. So hi, um, I'm Yvonne. Uh, like, like Britt said, uh, mental health counselor, pastor. Um, I have a practice right now is primarily telehealth, but you know, certainly have our roots in Lake Nona uh, called holistic counseling group or holistic bilingual counseling. Uh, and my business partner and I, Damaris, have always really been committed and passionate about what I would call or we would call the intersection of our spiritual and emotional life, mm-hmm. right? And so not only I think is it enough to look at symptoms, but I think a lot of what makes our work holistic is that we look at your, your system, your context, right? Your, the stories that you tell yourself. So the narratives that you kind of bring into the space, uh, we look at your culture, your identity, right? Like, uh, like, and we say in Spanish, la crianza, like how were you raised, right? Like all these things are really uh, important in thinking about a whole person. Uh, yeah. No human exists in a vacuum. So we, we really try to incorporate, even for my clients that are not, um, identify as religious, I have this way of kind of bringing spirituality into it by virtue of kind of exploring what we call the person's inner life. Everyone has an inner life, whether you identify with God or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a value system that's underneath the things that we decide to do. So that's what kind of Damaris and I and our team uh, do all the time. And uh, I would say the last several years, I would say the last five years, my passion has been primarily with working with men. It's kind of like, um, like with many things in life, sometimes you don't choose the thing. It chooses you yeah. all of a sudden I start, uh, I, I kind of go from working in addictions. I worked in addictions for a while. I worked with couples for a long time. And then I started to see men and I'm like, I really enjoy this. I, I like working man to man. And I like thinking about and exploring, uh, the psyche of, of a man and, and what helps a man do well and what helps a man maybe not do so well. And so that, that kind of became my professional and personal passion. Um, and I think in some personal level, it, it was, it was this idea of where like, 
okay, now maybe it's my season to, to give back. Right. Mm -hmm. I, from, from what I learned growing up, I never would have thought I would have had the marriage that I have now. Uh, you know, the relationship I have with my son, you know, all these things were major fears for me because it, the love that I feel is required in this season of my life was not explicitly taught. And so I'm like, Oh my goodness, what do I, what do I do? And so mm. I, I think part of it is also a personal thing. I needed to figure out, well, how the heck am I going to love this woman? Uh, love these kids uh, and, and be happy while I'm doing it. Yeah. Is that uh let's just jump right in. Is that something yeah. that you, um, that particular piece of it, is that something that you hear quite a bit from clients is kind of that, like the way you were raised as a man to be manly and don't cry and like stuff those feelings down. Like, is that all part of that? What you, what you see people coming to you? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I certainly think that's certainly part of it. Um, you, you know, I, I often joke with my clients and, and with friends that not all the time, not every man. So hear this clearly. What, sure. When I speak in generalities, a, a man might hear this and say, well, that's not me. And of course I'm great. That's great if it's not you. Yeah. But what I've seen in my professional and personal experience is that many men um, have like a, like a, a more narrow spectrum by which are acceptable emotions that they can viscerally connect to. Right. Like oftentimes anger? like anger. anger, of course we can talk about anger. We could have a whole symposium just on anger, yeah. but certainly that's one of them. That's often the stereotype that, sure. that men feel the anger, uh, but they often then don't feel other emotions. And so what we'll often say is that men come to therapy sometimes almost like almost emotionally constipated. Right. And so how do we like, you know, open them up to viscerally connect to these other emotions that they have and, and allow them to have a space where it's okay to really feel those things. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I see that. I see that often that the way that men and masculinity has kind of been portrayed uh, in our culture, in the Western world, um, really does a disservice to men. Yeah. And if we're looking at this from a theological or biblical perspective, Jesus really had a quite the access to a full range of emotions. Um, and so we don't really see that in the Bible. So I think that's something of a social construct that we've developed. I don't necessarily think it's something that was modeled to us biblically in any biblical way. Right. If anything, it's the opposite. I yeah. can make it. That's true. So I, you know, you bring up this, the fact that maybe men, not that they don't have this wide range of emotion, but maybe that they don't feel comfortable or safe or like it's acceptable for them to show all of these things. I actually had a girlfriend tell me that her husband printed out a sheet, like Googled something and like printed a chart of like, look, I, I can have all of these emotions. And he was actually like surprised by the fact that you know, he could in theory be somewhere, anywhere on this huge spectrum of, of emotions. He just personally had never tapped into those because he didn't know that he was allowed to, or that he, you know, could. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you look at my back wall here, this little chart, that's yeah. a feeling wheel. Okay. And oftentimes when I'm in person with, with clients or if, if I'm doing a digital therapy, I'll send this to them. I, I love it so much. It really is just a, 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 a picture of a bunch of feeling words. Yeah. And so some of the work that you can do even today is emotions are something that we exercise. Mm 
in the same way that we exercise our muscles. And just because you intellectually know a word, like you know the difference between being critical of someone and um, being ashamed of them. Like we know the nuance there, but sometimes we don't have access to that viscerally. Like, so, so that's like the nuance there, right? That just because we know a word doesn't mean we're connected to that feeling at a gut level. Mm-hmm. And so by slowing down and acknowledging those words, I can come to a partner or to a friend and say, hey, you know, Billy, Bobby, Susan, whoever, when you did X, I felt blank. Right. And, and, and I'm, I'm feeling that, right? So part of the work is not just giving men the permission in the space to feel those emotions, uh, but to do the mindfulness work of viscerally like hooking on to those emotions and really feeling it. And, and, that, and that takes time, especially if you were never taught it. So you're a grown man and this is kind of the first season of your life where you're trying to really do this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be like riding a bike, like for the first time. Yeah. So I know you've said too, that you, you know, you don't just work with men, you've worked with couples and women and stuff in the past. Do you, is there like a scientific answer as to like why women are maybe more in tune with their emotions and things like that, as opposed to men? Yeah. Sorry. That's a a big, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know if I would use maybe the word scientific. I mean, I guess I think science does have a lot to say, um, about this kind of phenomenon. Uh, there, there's like a a little expression that people say, and again, it's not all men and all women, excuse me, but that, uh, men often relate side to side and that women relate face to face. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is that we've been socialized in our context. Remember, if we're looking at this from a multicultural lens, I'm really speaking to the ways that people understand relationship in the Western world, United States, North America, and those sorts of things. Um, Men oftentimes engage through activity. So it's like, hey, Bob, let's go shoot some pool. And then while we're shooting pool, I'm talking about my wife. I'm talking about my kids. And women typically are more socialized to just, hey, girl, and, and we're just talking face to face and yeah. let's drink our, our, our mimosas or coffee and blah, 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 blah. And, and it's just, we don't need a reason. We can just intimately connect. Right. And so by virtue of just exercising those muscles more and having the spaces where that's allowed, then that's also a thing. And, and to add to that, it, it's also, we, we start this really young. Uh, we allow the little girls to, to, to cry and to express themselves in a way that we don't let our little boys uh, do the same thing. And research has suggested, although it hasn't conclusively proved this, uh, that in actuality, boys are often more quote unquote emotional as little children than girls are. Hmm. Um, and it could have something to do with testosterone or, or how those kind of elements work. That again, isn't conclusive science. So like, don't, you know, quote me on that. Uh, but, but what we're finding is that a lot of these notions and stereotypes that we have for boys are really just cultural and not really based on anything solid. I believe that I'm a boy mom. I have three boys and yeah, my, you know, it's funny because they are pretty emotional actually. Like when you take a step back and you think, Hmm, like what's my day to day really like, um, you know, my youngest one is five. He's on the autism spectrum. And so emotions are just a part of an everyday experience with him. Yeah. And then I have a 17 year old who is God love him, you know, pumping hormones are just raging right now. (laughs) And like, you know, um, the world is kind of a, a 
bit of a hard, challenging place um, yes. at times for him as a 17 year old. And, um, but then I think about my, my 11 year old, um, mm. Emery, who he just has a soft, sweet spirit and he loves people. He's just so kind and he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And he, um, something that, you know, as this mental health conversation has become more and more prevalent in our society over the last even handful of years, it, it dawned on me that those stereotypes of like, boys don't cry, shove those emotions down, um, just how damaging and harmful that can actually really be. And I've come to a place personally where I, this might sound weird, but I almost make him feel his feelings. Like mm. I tell him in the moment, like, let's talk about it. I know this might be tough. I know you might cry through this conversation or, and not hopefully not in like a traumatic way for him, but in a, it's okay. Yeah. And let's process this together versus me yeah. just telling you like, boys, don't do that. Like suck it up, you know? Yeah, man, that is so hard. And, and I think it gets to kind of one of my many soap boxes. And, and that is uh, one of my mentors said this, and I say it all the time to my clients. Um, most people don't need a therapist. They need a friend. Yeah. It's not to say that therapy is not important, but it's to say that, and research has, has, has demonstrated this. We need good friends. Yeah. We, we need more than self-care. We need community care. We need a village of people around us to care for us, to support us. And unfortunately, men, statistically speaking, have many less friends. As a matter of fact, we're in a bit of a friendship crisis hmm. sociologically in our country. Women have less friends than 20, 30 years ago. Uh, men especially have less friends. Um, I, the statistics, I did not, I did not come prepared to kind of rattle them off the top of my head, but suffice it to say that most men nowadays, very few adult men can, can, can significantly point to more than one friend mm. and say, I have, you know, Billy, Bobby and whoever to, to connect with and, and to be honest with, I might have a drinking buddy. I might have a hangout buddy, yeah. but do I have that bro that I can text at 2am and be like, dude, I, I can't stand my wife. Like you need to bring me down because like. <laughs> Like I'm ready to pack my bags and go to Vegas. Like, yeah. do you have that friend? And mm -hmm. most men would say no. Um, and so no amount of therapy in the world can uh, help a man or help anyone really if, if they don't have that village to anchor them. Mm -hmm. Therapy helps, but we need more. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point because talking about my 17 year old, I remember even just a handful of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, um, him coming to me and having one of these like more emotional, just challenging conversations. And one of the things he even brought up at that time was a lack of friends, feeling like he mm -hmm. had real true friends in this life. And mm -hmm. he's has acquaintances and he's got a group of, you know, like buddies. But at that time he was that loneliness, like that is, that's very real, no matter your age, right? No, you never outgrow friendships and relationships Yeah. ever, ever, ever. You're 90, you need friends. Yeah. You're five, you need friends. Like yeah. we all need friends. We never outgrow a village. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if we're, when we're talking about men, many men, especially in their career building season, will put friendship at the barrel, at the bare, the bottom of their, of their needs. And I mean, we're busy, right? I'm about yeah. to have another kid. I have a three-year-old. 
Um, and, and so like friendship is like a little text message. Hey dude, uh, my friendship looks like uh nine 30 at night when I'm dead tired, we just finished washing the dishes. I'm like, Hey man, I want to emotionally connect and I'm half asleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's when you're tending to your needs. I mean, moms, mothers, women, same thing, but, but if, if we're, if we're not able to somehow prioritize relationships, I, I tell folks, and I'm almost all like on a crusade to not even talk so much about mental health as an individual thing, but I'm like, bros, men, get friends. Yeah. You, you have to look for friendships because a lot of men will come. Okay, I did. You always talk about friendships. How do I do that? I'm 40 years old. I got 44 kids. I'm running a business. How do I make friends? Yeah. And I, and I tell men that you have to look at friendships in this almost the same way that you would look at a romantic partner except you're moving, you're removing the romantic sexual elements of, of wanting that person perhaps. Sure. But other than that, they almost look identical. And so I, 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 I kind of help men kind of say, Hey, what do you look for in a romantic partner? Boop, 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 boop. You're more than likely looking for that in a platonic friendship as well. Someone that cuts to the chase that, that is, that is, that is loyal. That is blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. all these things you're looking for that in a romantic partner. You're probably looking that in a platonic. And so we have to change the conversation and remove the shame around needing friendships at any age. And that's such a big taboo that you're 45 and all of a sudden you're supposed to have all your friendship needs met and you look like a wimp. If you're kind of, Hey guys, um, uh, can I be a friend to uh, new yeah. friends? You know, like many men will not have that conversation or do anything with the acknowledgement of that loneliness. Mm-hmm. And loneliness leads to mental health issues. I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean. Absolutely. I mean, especially in the time of COVID. Yeah. It's disconnection from others that I'm finding over and over. Relationship problems, COVID's messing it up. Like for anything. I mean, you name it, COVID is exacerbating it. But primarily, one of many reasons is because of the loneliness fast. We're disconnected from humans. Yeah. So let's jump over real quick to yes. just men in general and the yes. mental health conversation that's happening in our country and in our culture right now. I mean, something you and I were chatting about before we got started was just how prevalent the mental health conversation is these days. And while I think that's fantastic to a point, I yes. think there's also this kind of like I don't, I don't know. You are articulating it better than I could, but can you, can we talk a little bit about how the mental health craze, if you will, yeah. is helpful and some of the maybe not talked about pieces of it that aren't yes. so helpful. Oh, Britt. I mean, I'm glad that you, you, you brought that up because I think my friends and, and, and my, my people in my mental health spaces, I, I see this moment as so helpful and so problematic at the same time. Mm-hmm. so helpful in that anything is helpful when we're reducing the stigma of something. Yes. Talk about it. Let's talk about intimacy in our relationships. Let's talk about friendships. Let's talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, men struggle with emotional expressions. A lot of times, why is that? How can we address those symptoms and those systems uh, that lead to those things? Absolutely. Have the conversation all day. But what happens when something gets very faddish or gets very hip is that, um, we have awareness without containment, right? And so I think that's my challenge. People will go, oh my gosh, I'm getting this awareness. And so far, our 
culture has only come to the point of having the conversation and opening up that dialogue, but we haven't changed the systems and the structures to address that pain. So all of a sudden I have this awareness and I have nowhere to go with it. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, we could have a long conversation about the mental health system in this country and the fact that the reality is many of our services are unaffordable or unaccessible for a vast majority of people. And there's many economic reasons for that. Yeah. Um, that, that reality um, and, and that, and that kind of nuance. And so it, it, it's hard as a, as a therapist. And I, and I think kind of putting on my pastor hat, I, that, that's kind of where I balance out, right? Because it almost feels as though this gift of healing ought to be free. It, it should just be the thing that humans give to one another. Um, but we have to kind of commercialize it for lack of a better word, because we all have to eat. We all have to find like ways to sustain this work and provide for our families as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I have a real challenge with, you know, just the conversation being about awareness, awareness. And I, I hope that politically in the conversation kind of moves towards, okay, we're addressing this problem, but how are we addressing the systems that bring about this pain mm-hmm. um, and really, and really focus our, our political will as it were to those problems. Yeah. I love that you talk about the kind of the, the barrier to entry for mental health, actual mm-hmm. counseling. Yeah. Um, I love that churches do offer that. Um, most churches do offer something in a way of speaking with a pastor or have yeah. some sort of, of counseling ministry. So in theory, there's a way to have those needs met that isn't super expensive or, you know, that is cost effective, but the reality of people utilizing that, and even the reality of people utilizing paid for expensive, (laughs) you know, counseling services, I still think they're, although the awareness is there, I think the stigma of going to therapy is still there, right? Super, especially when we talk about men. I mean, I think things happen in seasons and generations and so I think this Gen Z and this upcoming generations of young people, they have an awareness and precision to their language that even myself at that age, I'm like, I was trading Pokemon cards and these kids are talking about LGBT and they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, business ethics and the, or all these things that were not on my radar. So I know that this is a new breed of men and women kind of getting an awareness. Um but as kind of like the, the, the leaders of the world now, us older folks, we have to kind of lead by example. Uh, and, and, you know, if, 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 if men are hearing this, if they hear anything I say, really focus on building friendships. If you need therapy, go for it. It's there. We can talk a little bit about resources uh, t- towards the end or, or now, however you'd like. But really, if, if, if you can focus on building those relationships. Text those dudes or those people in your life that you haven't talked to in a while and say, hey, I appreciate you. Hey, you mean a lot to me. Like start, start where you can start. Yeah. Um, I, I think some people get so hung up on the mental health piece because like they, you know how the expression goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So if, oh my gosh, uh, I'm falling really short in my marriage. I can't emotionally show up. All right. So what's like the first thing you can do? Start expressing gratitude. Ask for patience. Like, uh, are you, are you, are you moving your body every day? Not even exercising. Are you sleeping? 
Like, are you struggling with that? Go get your blood work. When was the last time you did a physical? Go get that checked out, man. Like all these things. Like I, I try to rule all that out with my, with my clients. They're like, Yvonne, I'm so depressed. I'm so this. Bro, when was the last time you ate? Uh, I haven't eaten a good meal in three days. Okay, well then let's let's work on those those baby steps. Yeah. Hanger is a real thing. Um. Oh, hangry, hangry should be a medical condition. Uh like you I should know, not I feel it sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you go to the grocery store hangry, picking up your kids hangry, cooking while hangry. I'm eating yeah. chips and stuff. Yeah. It's a mess. Yeah. Well, I, I also mentioned before we got started just a little bit about my son and I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to share too much, but you know, he is 17. He's like, I said, got a lot going on in his life. He's at that age, you know, where people are starting to ask all the time, where are you going to college? What are you going to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, as his mom, I'm like, shoot, man, I'm just figuring it out. And I'm almost 40. So no pressure, but the pressure, even if the pressure isn't coming from me, it is, there is this societal pressure and, you know, grandparents or whoever. Um, so I am curious if you have any kind of like thoughts for us moms who are raising boys, um, just some things that we can be mindful of to, not only just open the conversation about mental health from an awareness standpoint, but to really help guide these young, our young men towards just healthy one conversation around their feelings and, and all of that, but also, you know, moving into basically a system and a society that expects certain things for men. How, how can we prepare our boys to step into that, and have that awareness um, of, of yeah. what they're what they are experiencing from a from a mental and an emotional place. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, I think say this. I, I mean, I think so much of my work with with people, men or women, particularly with men, but certainly for everyone, is we need to learn how to be compassionate to ourselves, mm. like truly, really, not like woo woo. Be compassionate, but like. How do we look at the pain that we've caused others, caused ourselves, and to, to use a Christian imagination, kind of see ourselves the way that God does, right? God doesn't look to the naked adulterous woman and condemn her. He, he, I'm paraphrasing. Hey, he's like, yo, like, you know, don't sin anymore. Like, you're free. Like, I want this grace to be the thing that frees you to do the thing that you desperately so want to do. And, and again, I can critique that verse for some other things we needed to hold the men accountable in that whole circumstance. Like it really just overly focuses on the female. That's my own side. That's my own digression, but to, to kind of go back to, to your son and to, to, to young boys, if I'm talking to mothers, for example, one of the, one of the things I would invite a mother or someone raising a young boy, a young man is to be curious about the unspoken narratives that they have regarding how they hold male emotion what are their thoughts what are their biases like when a man expresses emotion are they like oh hey it's messy like h- how do they kind of really truly it, when they're alone view the emotional expectations that they have of a man because we're unconsciously going to project those onto our children right so idealistically in our in our brain our cerebral brain we can say oh yeah i want to take care of my sons and, and do this but the narrative that I'm telling myself is you got to chop, chop, come on, toughen up. The world's a scary, toughy, tough place. Like just man up. 
Yeah. We may say it in nicer mom language, but the effect is the same. We just say it in nice mom ways. It's okay. You're going to do it. Just do it. Just do it. Go, go. Like circumvent the emotional process. Just do the thing. Right. And we say it meaning well, but we have to check ourselves. So check ourselves. Mm. Um, I think it's always important to any caregiver. I'm realizing this with a young child. Oh my gosh. So much of parenting is about me radically doing my own work, reparenting myself, getting yeah. the things that I did not get in my childhood, learn to get them in adulthood, and then somehow transmit that to my child. So it is hard work. Again, that's why you need the compassion. Yeah. So if, if a parent, a mother is doing this work, being compassionate to self, compassionate to child, really honestly looking at their children like teachers as much as people that we're trying to teach, then that humble posture will allow for more possibilities by which we can invite and model to our children emotional expression. I grew up, my father is an interesting man. I love him if he's hearing this, um, but he was emotionally stunted in many ways because of his trauma. So I learned in many ways how to be a man yeah. by my mother. So in many ways, my mother was a single mother in an emotional sense. My dad was around. He was a provider. But at the end of the day, my mom was doing 99.9% .9 of the emotional lifting. Mm -hmm. Many marriages have that story. Yeah. So then if that's the context, one of the ways that we as parents acknowledge that is we acknowledge our limitations. And we perhaps try to encourage our kids to, to be in the sports, find healthy role models. I did not have a lot of healthy male role models. I had to kind of figure it out. Maybe that's why I became a therapist because I need a lifetime of figuring it out, right? <laughs> uh, so that's, that is what it is. But so yeah, that's what I would say to a, to, to a mother kind of raising a teenager. Be on the up and up. Know about your child's world. Like really try to educate yourself. Like what are the, what are the cool kids saying these days? What's the vernacular? What's the... What's the pain that is carried? What's the angst, right? And so right now for kids that are on the age 17, 18, my generation said, go to college, get debt. It's all good. No yeah. matter what, college, college, college. This generation is going, you know what? College isn't the bee's knees for everybody. Right. So then if that's the case, what do I do? And so we need to kind of educate as parents, really the nuances of trade school, the pros and cons, we have to kind of reflect on our children's abilities. Like, do we want them to go to college because it's about our ego and you know that they're not really like the academic type of learner? Why are you pushing that on yourself? Because you want to look cool with the other parents? Like, you have to really answer that for yourself. I I've told my wife all the time, listen, he doesn't have to get 44 degrees like I did, but if he finds something he's passionate about, I want him to do it with excellence. Yeah. And I want to support that excellence. So I do have the expectation of excellence but it can be in whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I would reflect on learn yourself, be compassionate uh, and just kind of be in their world. Yeah. That was a sermon right there because <laughs> let me tell you, like two things really stood out to me in that yeah. one, just the, the idea of parenting being working through your own stuff in relation to your child. Um, I saw, I'm going to get it all wrong, but I saw a meme or something the other day that basically said, parenting is 
um, seeing your own triggers, basically being triggered <laughs> kind of all day long and not necessarily pushing those things down, but mentally working through them in the moment so that you can help your child work through whatever it is that has triggered you, right? Because your child has triggered you in some way. And so, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the other piece of it that you talked about, which is just the way we were raised. Like Yvonne, I'm assuming you're Hispanic. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm half Colombian. I grew up in a strict Christian household. Um, (laughs) There was kind of that pressure put on us to have a certain way that we presented ourselves to the world. Um, And I'm realizing now, and I I don't know if it's helpful that I have boys and not girls. I I think it is personally. Um, But I know for me, a lot of it is um, just like anything else in life, you are modeled one thing. And you can make the choice as a parent when it's your turn to either go down the same path that you were modeled. Because if that's positive, then that's a great thing, right? Um, And then if you weren't modeled something so great, you actually have the opportunity to change direction and change the the course of the way that you do things for your children. And I feel like for me, I... I had a, I had a mentor, but I wasn't super close with my parents where I could talk to them about things like this. Mm -hmm. And so I went the opposite direction. I literally said to my son the other day, you know, I didn't have this growing up and it, it spurs me on all the more to make sure you have it because I could have used, I could have used a counselor. (laughs) I could have used, you know, (laughs) so I think there's, there's a, it's, it's, it's a constant, I don't even know if balance is the right word, but this movement of my child has kind of brought something up in me that now I have to deal with, but I also have to be there for them and help them navigate this thing so that they're not where I am at 38. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And all our fears and our projections, like we often parent and emphasize our parenting goals from places of pain or trauma. Well, you know, I had a lot of uh, emotional disconnection with my parents. Well, I'm going to be that inadvertently, the helicopter parent. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be at all the games, I'm going to be at all the stuff and that the parent sets themselves up for failure. Mm-hmm. When in reality it's it, it's just an awareness of am I am I doing this from a wounded place or am I doing this from a place of abundance? Mm-hmm. Like and, and the, is this parenting decision a shadow of something that I wish I got. And so I think it's like the most important thing uh, or, or is it something that my child really needs mm. in this moment? Yeah. And so, I mean, so if there's any single parents or anyone hearing this and they're like, Oh, that's great. All these idealistic things, like just be where you're at. Yeah. Kids are incredibly adaptive. Like you are doing just fine. And so if, if, if you need to hear that compassion with ourselves, we have to model and live into that first and foremost. And I, I think if we can express and demonstrate that compassion that, and, and children can taste that, um, they're going to be fine, even with the little or the a lot that we can offer them. Because yeah. we're all going to need healing and reparenting in some form or fashion, even if you do an A plus job. Yeah. It's funny how this morphed into a bit of a parenting conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but going back and kind of circling back to just men in general, as a mm-hmm. father, I mean, you just, yeah. you've got a little one and I know your yeah. little one is 
little enough to trigger you, I'm sure, but also all the time. <laughs> but you just wait until they're a teenager. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, for sure. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not ready. Hopefully, I will be. Yeah, you will. You will. But you will and you won't, right? Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, fathering um, and parenting as a father um, and kind of pulling together all these strings as, as far as mental health is concerned. I, I can't speak to what that feels like. So I'd love for you, if you could, to just kind of share just as a man, yeah. you know, raised in that kind of culture, raised in this society where we weren't talking about mental health yet. Sure. I, I tell you it, it authenticity and congruency costs a lot. And so for a lot of us men and people in general, we don't want to pay the cost or we can't afford the cost, it feels like, in that season. And what do you mean by uh, that, Yvonne? Sure. Like, a lot of times, if I'm going to be authentic and congruent to myself, like, I'm a touchy-feely person. I've always had my heart on my sleeve. Um, and, and machismo and all this kind of learnedness kind of almost beat it out of me. Or what it left for me was a major disconnect from my heart and my mind. Mm. And so by having a child, all of a sudden, I found myself becoming more emotional. I started feeling things like sometimes I'll go in his bed after a nighttime and just look at him and be like, oh, my God, that's my human. I helped create this. What is this? What do I do? And I feel that in my gut. I used to not feel things in my gut, Brittany, mm -hmm. even though I've been doing this for over 10 years now, this therapy thing. I used to be so disconnected from my feelings out here, feeling like an imposter mm. to, to my clients and go, oh, I'll talk about all this when my, I myself, but then having a child kind of forced me to reckon with like my soul wounds, you know, and, and the way that I love and that I receive love. And so that work is messy and you're trying to be a good provider. You're trying to be uh, a good husband and a good friend. And these, these deep, quiet things in our soul often are the last thing that we give energy to. Uh, but so in, in therapy and in, in having the kind of friendships I have now, I try to make that the first thing and allow that to kind of trickle into everything else, right? Um, and so, you know, I guess my wisdom for men and for fathers, especially for many of us who didn't have those fatherly examples that we can say, okay, this is, this is how I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing is just making it a priority, knowing that everything else flows from that. Because if there's anything I see in my practice now, and I think the, 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 the man that I'm most passionate about serving these days is kind of like that man from Ecclesiastes, that man that has everything, but has nothing. Mm. So I'll have men come to me and say, Yvonne, I got money now. I'm like, my kids are happy. My wife is happy, but I'm miserable. Mm. Why is that? You look at my life, Yvonne, and I have the picture perfect life. Why am I not happy? Why do I not have peace? And so then we do the messy work of, of kind of almost doing like emotional and spiritual chiropractic work, getting everything in alignment so that everything that this person does comes from a centered place of truth and of reality. So sometimes that means different jobs. Sometimes that means shifting priorities. Sometimes that means not taking the promotion. Sometimes that means downsizing the house because you only bought it to soothe your ego, not really because your family needed it. So, I mean, there's, there's it costs. Like all these things cost. So it's not just woo woo. That's great. Find your truth. 
like all that stuff is painful. It can be painful. Yeah. Um, but my encouragement to men that if you're finding yourself kind of like wearing a clown mask, pretending that everything's okay, but kind of feeling empty inside the work is worth it. Yeah. It takes time, take it one step at a time, but on the other side, you know, it feels good. It feels good that I don't have to prove myself to my son or to anyone else, but to radically try to love from a place of acceptance. Mm. Um, I, I'm trying to do that. Hey, we're all imperfect. Am I right? All of us, all of us, <laughs> all of us. Do you see clients that I don't, I don't even know if this exists. Like, are there healthy men that come see you that just talk <laughs> about like healthy, good things? Or yes, is that yes, like yes. everyone's oh just there with a bunch of messy oh, all the time? Oh, yes. Let's, let's, let's clear this out. All the men in the world ain't damaged. Okay. Like, <laughs> we're like, you know, um, we're, we're emphasizing this for the sake of conversation, but sure. um, the vast majority of people out there, they, they're all right. They, they, they want to do well. They're, they're doing the best they can. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule. You know, if I don't address this in my life, I'll be all right. The people that typically come to therapy, come to therapy because they're maybe on more of the extreme part of it where like, um, their lack of emotional availability is causing some kind of problem. Um, but you know, if you, if you got a good man at home and you know, he's just not the most touchy feely person, but like you're 90% happy, be 90% happy. Like you're never going to be hundred percent happy. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the, the, the goal of this conversation is not to make every man a Shakespeare, right. In terms of their emotional expression or anything of like that, the, the goal that I have with, with clients and, and, and the way I kind of see men, it's just for them to be their more authentic self. So if Billy is not as touchy feely, well, that's okay. But we're going to help Billy figure out how to be more present and show up for you. He can still be himself, but he can show up for you a little more too. Mm -hmm. And most men have that des genuine desire. Most men and women maybe just need a tune up. Um, and so, you know, you can look at therapy in the same way that you look at your doctor. You don't always go to your doctor when you're like your legs broken. You go, Hey doc, do my blood work. Am I okay? Maybe I could lose five pounds, but if I don't, I still love myself. Like, you know, you just yeah. go. Right. So yeah. I, I think that is the long-term shift also in, in therapy that it, that it's not just for the super damaged men or, or the super damaged women or whatever. It, it's none of that. I mean, I, I see a wide spectrum of people, people that radically love their partner, but they come in because they want to do a transition checkup. Hey, our kids just left the house. Uh, we're just kind of learning how to date again and to love ourselves outside of our identity of parenting. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be a non-provider man. I'm retired now. Help me figure it out. So every season has this kind of doot -doot little tweaking that sometimes we need. And that's totally normal too. That's cool. Yeah. I think there is that perceived misconception that if you go to therapy, you know, you're damaged. There's something wrong with you. You're probably super messed up or whatever. Yeah. I love that even within the context of the church, there's been a shift in how okay it is to seek counseling and seek therapy. Um, I would urge people if they're listening to this to connect with a Christian counselor, if possible, just because I, I personally believe that, you know, the word of God is, truth, ultimate truth. And as long as we are, um, 
we kind of put everything through that as our context that we'll be in alignment with what the Holy Spirit and what the Lord is calling us to. Um, and so I love that what you guys do is, you know, you have that more holistic approach mm-hmm. and you as a pastor, obviously your, you know, worldview is very much biblical, but you're able to, to help people who may maybe don't have that worldview as well. Like you said, um, what would you say to a guy who just like, he would never walk in your doors. Like what, what resources, what is something that maybe a wife or a girlfriend, or maybe a guy's listening to this podcast and is like, I, I, I can't see myself walking into therapy right now, but I, I'm willing to open the door to this conversation. What, what yeah. might you steer him towards? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is where the power of, of friendships is so excuse me, I'm just going to continue to kind of reiterate that because yeah. of how important I see that. Um, if, if you're a man or a, a, someone supporting a, a loved one and, and they're kind of curious about the conversation, um, you know, if, if they're, if they identify as Christian and they're kind of in that space, kind of make sure to question and to critique, are you in the kind of church or in the kind of religious environment that allows you to really be you? Or do you have to kind of have that too blessed to be stressed type of veneer that mm-hmm. some churches inadvertently by wanting to sing the, the, the praises of hope in a faith so loudly that people inadvertently feel like they can't be themselves. So interrogate, assess, right? Um, I think many churches are kind of going into a movement. I know the church that I'm serving, we're, we're trying to make plans for this, is to meet men and people where they're at. So again, I'm not saying anything about alcohol, but I know that in my faith tradition, um, you know, I, I, it would not be odd for me to go have a coffee, have a glass of wine and to sit and meet people and have real conversations at where they're at Yeah. for the sake of bringing light uh, into these spaces. So Jesus did it. I mean, I mean, we could go biblical if you need to go biblical. Jesus was where the people really were. Yes. And so if, if a man is not willing to go to a therapist space, where are other healing environments? The bar may not be a healing environment for some people. Absolutely. Sure. And for sure. I work in addiction is, you know, um, but identify those spaces so that, you know, where is Billy feel like himself the most? Oh, it's when he plays baseball with the guys. Okay. How do we assess baseball with the guys and take that emotional intimacy, maybe a few more notches up, because I could guarantee you that if Billy feels that way, there's other men in the baseball group, in the softball group that feel as though they want to do it too. They just don't know how to lead into that. Yeah. That's really good. I, you know, and the same goes for women, obviously, but, but that, that's so true. Like you, sometimes it takes the one person saying, I need help to crack the doors wide open for everyone else around them and in their life and in their circle to say, gosh, man, I'm I'm so glad that you just said that because I've been feeling that too. And nobody else is saying it. And Mm -hmm. you just need to hear that me too, that you're Mm -hmm. not alone sometimes, you know? I'll never forget when I first had our son, one of my biggest concerns, because I'm very like, take over the world, very, I can get egocentric and I want to do all the things like maybe many men can, can succumb to. And I talked to my wife about this, but I, I wanted to talk to other couples and other friends, but I was like too ashamed to say it. Like, um, how do you dream as a parent? Like, can I, can I 
do I have, I mean, I realized like my time wasn't my own anymore. Like, how do you achieve big things and be a parent? Is that even possible anymore? And almost like, do I have this kind of resentment for this little human? Because now I don't have time to do anything. I'm always tired. Um, and, and so I found myself kind of whispering that to myself mm. and like swallowing it. And it took me a lot of courage to say, Hey, um, does anyone else really struggle with like, uh, kind of feeling career purpose and parental purpose at the same time. And everyone's like, yes, of course. And I thought I was like the only person in the whole world yeah. that felt that tension. Mm. Um, so it took, you know, me making that courage and, and having that vulnerability and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm risking something here. Uh, but what I got back was, was tenfold. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Yvonne, I love this conversation. We probably could yeah. talk another hour. No problem. For sure. For sure. <laughs> But we won't keep you all for another hour. So That's right. I will have Yvonne share where people can find you and your yes. um, your group on social media and online. Yes. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I could talk about this for hours and hours. You know, it's, it's so fun. So thank you for having me. So if folks want to reach out to us, if they want to connect or ask questions, just kind of even have a conversation, uh, they can follow us up at our website at holisticcounselinggroup.com. Uh, and I'm sure you'll have the links and things, the holisticcounselinggroup.com, all one word. Or you can find us at Holistic Bilingual Counseling on Instagram uh, and on Facebook as well. Uh, so there's a, a lot of different ways, holisticcounselinggroup.com or Holistic Bilingual Counseling on Instagram and on Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you again for this conversation. It was wonderful. And I'm just wishing you and Damaris and your team all the success. I know that really now more than ever, this is such an important conversation. And, you know, I just want to echo Yvonne and encouraging you to reach out to that friend, make an appointment, do, you know, reach out to your pastor or someone that can just come alongside you and, and, help you navigate some of the feelings and emotions and even just the loneliness that I think a lot of us are feeling this year. So thank you again, Yvonne. You've been yes. excellent. And this is Thank awesome. you, Brittany. Yes. I appreciate you. God You're bless y'all. Take care. Hey friends. Thanks so much for watching. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like and subscribe to this channel and hit that little notification bell. So, you know, every time I post something new. Of course, check out these love t-shirts as well. That's where you can get all of our Life Jesus style gear and all my favorite people here. Thanks for tuning in and I hope to see you next time. I will make your name famous from now on so people will praise you forever and ever. Psalm 45, 17. If you liked today's episode and want more info, check out lifejesusstyle.com and hashtag lifejesusstyle on social media.